have to say my top five Godzillas are the original uh, Shodai 1954 Godzilla. Um, and right after that, I'd have to say Shin Godzilla. Those two, mostly because they're the only Godzillas that were really uh, terrifying. Uh, after that, I'd say uh, Mosogoji, the Godzilla versus Mothra design was great. Um, after that, I'd have to say, uh, actually, I'd have to say Biollante Godzilla right after that, which was like kind of peak late 80s, early 90s design. The puppy face uh, uh, Godzilla from uh, Godzilla versus uh, Megalon is also probably number five, but it, I have to contend that it also the Millennium Godzilla with the strange cat-like face and big crystal spines on its back were really, uh, those. that was another one. So those two contend for my number five. I got to tattoo the uh, Millennium Godzilla on a friend, and uh, that was a lot of fun. And the original suit maker saw it and gave it a big thumbs up, so. And for more information about Godzilla, you can find Doug online and ask him about Godzilla. You're very welcome to <laughs> Beneath the Skin, the show about the history of everything told through the history of tattooing. I am one of your hosts, Thomas O'Mahony, and I am joined by my esteemed co-host, Dr. Matt Lauder. And as you heard at the start, we're joined by a guest, our first guest so far. And what a great guest it is. It is the tattoo luminary legend, Mr. Doug Hardy. Doug, hello. Hello. Thanks for having me on, Thomas. It's great meeting you, and it's great seeing. Uh, yeah, it's great seeing faces uh, from across the pond again. Everything's been either like on WhatsApp or you know occasional phone calls. So this is nice. Technology makes this possible. I was yeah. So um, I guess when was the last time I saw you, Doug? It was probably what in a curry house in London in a long, <laughs> long time. Yeah, it was at one of the conven- one of the London tattoo conventions I attended. Boy, that must it must have been five years ago. At least, so yeah, at least. I mean, time I has no meaning anymore. London. Yeah, exactly. Well, especially if, you know, <laughs> during the first year of the lockdown and everything, you know, I was going insane. You know, just me and two cats. But uh, yeah, it, it's it's been far too long since I've been over there. It's been yeah, quite a while. I have to say. So yeah, look, I, we've been we were a couple of episodes in, and Thomas and I were talking about getting guests on, and like you were very near the top of my list of people to invite on because. I just, you know, I super enjoy talking to people that have been tattooing for a long time and who've, who still kind of give a shit, right? Who still are interested in right. it. And I, one of the things I love about you, Doug, is well, you've been said you've been tattooing now, what, 30 years or something you said? Yeah, May of 2000, uh, two, uh, 2022 is my 30th anniversary. Uh, I moved from the San Francisco Bay Area. I was offered an apprenticeship by Michael Malone at China Sea Tattoo in Honolulu. Uh, and I dropped everything and moved to Hawaii and uh, was there for eight years. And then, God, from Hawaii, I went, this was the big jump. I went from Hawaii to Minnesota in 1998. <laughs> so I went from, you know, tropics to like woodlands, lakes and uh, and incredible snowfall in the winter. Uh, and it was, I, I figured uh, I, I was moved over there to help out someone with, they were opening a shop and I figured oh, I'll go over there a couple of years and then I'll move on. But I fell in love with the area and I was there for uh, just shy of 12 years and then moved to San Francisco. My father retired. Yeah. My father retired in 2008. He started like kind of saying, well, it'd be nice if you could help out at the shop. And <laughs> after a while, I real really realized that, you know, all my family's in California, no one's getting any younger. So in 2009, October 2009, uh, I moved to uh, back to San Francisco, and I've been here ever since. 
Yeah, I'm not going to lie. Your fam, your family business is a lot more exciting than mine. Both my parents are accountants, so you know at least you had something a bit cooler to go home to. <laughs> I'll tell you what, though, those are essential, essential things. I mean, tattoos. As much as I love them, and I've grown up around them, literally, uh, you know, like when you can, when people say it's like, you know, what are they good for? It's like uh, peace of mind, I guess. I don't know, looking cool. <laughs> it's like. Yeah, it's not, it's, it's, you know, probably, probably, I don't know, like probably even today, but I think definitely, I definitely talk to students and stuff who think that tattooing is going to be this like road to riches and, oh God, no. you know, right? Like maybe accountancy is a better path if you actually want to make some money. Right, right. Well, I mean, you know, thanks to the shackles of capitalism, you know, where a lot of people do what they don't want to do at all. But I mean, tattooing, I, you know, it's, it's, I mean, unless you're, I'm, I'm terrible at marketing myself and everything. When Instagram came around in what, 2011 or something like that, I was like, I, I got on it like the first week it was out and it was great because I actually discovered a lot of amazing artists and just fun friends and cool and cool, interesting people. I met a lot of people through it at the beginning. It was great. And I was like, I'd find, Oh, so-and-so is on here. Well, who do they follow? And that was my thing, you know, and that, in that way it introduced me to a lot of artists, people I've actually met in, in life afterwards, you know, um, I'll say if it wasn't for WhatsApp, I probably wouldn't have met, um, Annie O'Leary, the tattooist in Australia. And she and I have become like incredibly good friends now. You know, it's it's very strange. But now it's all like, oh, you have to put up five videos a day and you have to do this. And tattooists have to go through all this like immense marketing. It's like a second job, you know. I mean, I, you don't see accountants have to do that. Look at all these papers. <laughs> you know, it's like they don't have to put a reel on Instagram every 10 minutes or else the business will die. It's, it's stupid. I bet you, you know? there's a tattooed accountant subculture on TikTok. I bet you there's loads of like young hip accountants like making memes or something <laughs> it's probably right, the right. case i mean social media is just like a pill but there is like a huge thing online particularly on tiktok of like people who work very corporate jobs and them like discussing their tattoos and how they deal with like corporate oh, culture and having tattoos and a lot of people you know it's it's a biz- business suit essentially like it's above the wrist below the neck but there is a couple of people that i find really interesting who you know have face tattoos or hand tattoos and work in like very, very corporate environments. And particularly they talk, there's a couple of them that talk about their experiences in other parts of the world being like visibly tattooed and working in a corporate culture and that kind of tension. But, you know, you mentioned you really got your start in Honolulu like 30 years ago. What was it like then? Um, It was, it was pretty small. I mean, there wasn't a lot of shops on Oahu. Um, there was, you know, Malone's shop, which I've worked in, China Sea, which was very tiny. It was in, it was in, um, it, there's, it's still a tattoo shop now, uh, but it was in Honolulu's Chinatown, which at that point was definitely not a tourist destination anymore. I mean, we, there was a lot of, there was a lot of drug fiends and it was just kind of the rundown neighborhood and everything, but it was mostly tattooing locals and stuff. I mean, it originally had been Jerry's shop since the 1950s and when, Sailor Jerry passed, you know, he had left instructions to his wife to sell it either to uh, Zeke Owen or my father, Don Ed Hardy, or to Mike Malone. And Zeke had his shop in San Diego. He had no reason to leave. And my father was actually in Japan at the time, uh, tattooing with Kazuo Oguri. Um, and so he didn't even know that Jerry had passed until much until later. Um, so Mike you know, Mike bought the shop in 73, moved over in July of 73. He kept it open until 
summer of 2000, I think was when he finally closed it. But so, yeah, it was this tiny little shop. It was mostly locals that I was tattooing, you know, doing big, long names and everything. Scott Sterling worked <laughs> there as well. And he taught me how to draw on, taught me how to do really nice scripts because we had to do a lot of script names. And in that shop, you'd have to draw it on the skin with a ballpoint pen. These guys would come in and they'd want 20 letter names on their arm. You know, their Hawaiian names, Kanaka Vivaole or something like that. And you had to fit it on there. So you had to draw it on to make it fit. You know, back then, uh, you know, there was no digital art things or anything. So you couldn't resize things easily. You had a, your photocopier, you know, your shitty photocopier and your thermofax. And so, you know, drawing things on was, was a big part of it. We still had a bunch of plastic stencils too, old acetates and stuff as well. Those we'd actually throw in the photocopier, make a shot of that, and then throw it in the, you know, I wasn't going to go for the pectograph powder or the, or the charcoal powder or anything like that. I did once or twice just to try it. I was like, well, I'm glad I don't have to do that. You know, it's like, cheers to the ones of the past who went through it all, you know, seeing photos of like, you know, of all these tattooists. Yeah, having a look at those old like Sailor Jerry yeah, those old Sailor Jerry acetates that are like hand scored so deep that they could get the graphite powder in. Like that's hard fucking work, man. Yeah, it's immensely difficult work. And then you'd see photos like uh, you know of like people holding up stencils like I, of like you know back piece acetates. You know, it's like you're going to use this once, and it's just like it, it must have been insane, especially in a humid environment like you know Hawaii and everything. Jerry had an AC in there. Um, we didn't. We just, you know, had fans and stuff like that. But you know, it was just it. Would, but it was it was wild. It was like you know, um, yeah. I, I worked at that shop. Uh, Scott, Scott, Mike, and Scott Sterling and Candy Everett basically taught me how to tattoo. Mostly, mostly Mike and um, and yeah. It was just uh, it was an interesting place. You had to toughen up real quick because I mean there was like sometimes you had to like deal with you know, real belligerent drunks or something like that. You know, it's like, it's not my, my environment, or anything. but, um, but it was really neat. You know, Malone was always, uh, he was always drawing. He was always painting. He always had an idea of like, Oh, we can do this next and everything. So it was a real positive environment for that. You know, um, and it was difficult at times, you know, I mean, at, at first, I mean, tattooing is like, you see all these great artists now. I mean, they come out of a lot of them now come out of art school and they, boom and they're tattooing and like i see people who've been tattooing for like two years a tattoo better than you know i do i've been tattooing 30 years and stuff like that it's just it's really amazing to me you know at first for me it was difficult you know i was like you know it's like that whole thing you know when you first get your whole hand in an old machine you know a coil machine you know it's like you know it's really loud it vibrates and everything you're trying to put in a line on you know, soft surface. It's like, here, you know, I, f I filled up this balloon with, with marshmallow and a bone here, draw something on this and you can't erase <laughs> anything. You know, it's like, okay, you know, that's what it feels like. So. Uh, what was that, you know, those first couple of months, like when you were like starting your apprenticeship, doing those like first tattoos, you had you tattooed before, or was this really your first trial by fire? It was my first trial and it was, uh, I mean, believe it or not, I worked in a uh, mutual fund firm in Silicon Valley before I moved over. You could have um, been an accountant. Yeah, I was, <laughs> oh, Jesus. Yeah. I had no idea what I was doing. Um, it was the like, internal accounting, which just meant so-and-so went on a trip. Here's their bills. Pay them. That's it. You know, I was like, um, 
but I was like, I was just really in a square environment and I was just like, kind of like, I don't know, this is not for me and everything. And then Malone offered me an apprenticeship and uh, it was funny. I used to go, I lived, this was in Mountain View, California, and it was an industrial park. So I was, I was in this place, uh, the mutual fund place, and it was next door to Silicon Graphics, which used to be a high-end uh, computer maker uh, and Adobe. And I had friends in all those places, you know, because I was kind of a computer nerd. Um, and one of the friends was this guy named Chris. And I would meet up with him. He would come in from San Francisco. He'd take the train. I'd meet up at the train stop because right there was this shuttle that took everyone who worked in that industrial park from the train stop to, to work. So I'd walk a few blocks to grab the shuttle and go with them. And Chris and I got to know each other because he was tattooed by Freddie Corbin. Um, and he was a he was a chip designer for Silicon Graphics. He was an engineer, um, but he would always show up like you know shaved head, leather chaps, everything. He was a big you know big part of the Castro Street gay community and everything. And since he was an engineer, I mean, they, whatever he could just dress however he liked. He didn't have to have the suit. And um, in fact, he's there's a photo of him in I Tattooed America, the book uh, uh, the book that came out in. I think it was 89 or maybe 90 uh, that had a lot of photographs of tattooed individuals and stuff like that. But anyway, um, you know, after I got that, uh, basically my father told me about Mike said, you know, Hey, he, he'd teach you if he wants. And I was just kind of stunned by that. And I was taking the bus over and we were talking and he, you know, I was like, yeah, I don't know. It's like Mike offered me this apprenticeship and, and he's like, you know, I don't know. It's like a big thing. You know, I have a girlfriend here and da, 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 and I'd have to move to Hawaii. And he goes, what the fuck are you still doing here? What are, you, are you nuts? You know, go. And it's like, it's like, yeah, you're right. So that's what pushed me. And years later, I found out that it, it, it actually um, kind of paralleled Mike Malone's experience because he, you know, was offered the shop and it was like some outrageous amount of money, you know, back then, because, you know, Jerry wanted to have a big nut for his wife to get, you know, I think it was like, I think it was like $20,000 or something, which is probably like $160,000, $170,000 equivalent, you know, these days. Um, and Mike was working with Zeke at Ace Tattoo. And apparently he said he went to a barber one day and he was commiserating with his barber about the same thing. It's like, Jesus, a lot of money and it's moving to someplace I've never, you know, I've barely been to. And he'd only been to Hawaii a couple of times, I think. And and apparently Mike said that there was this guy waiting for in line for a haircut and he was a businessman. And he like put down his paper and he goes like, sorry, I didn't mean to, you know, listen in but he says but you're telling me for twenty thousand dollars you're going to get a business that's been there for over 20 years is ready to go all the equipment is ready you know just here's the money here's your key business has been going for you know for well established and stuff and mike was like yeah and the guy told him it's like what are you doing here you know just get <laughs> over there right now and so it was the same thing you know so even well, when your uh, your father is a don ed hardy you'll still be forced to become an accountant Right, right. <laughs> well, my dad, he never pushed me in any way. He never pushed me to get a tattoo, to not get a tattoo. He was always, he always wanted me to just make my own path and everything. And, and that was, you know, he was grateful. He never, he never said like, you have to do this other than like, you know, he's like, go to school, da, 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 things like, you know, the normal parenting things. Um, you know, when I was, uh, when I was, it was coming up on my 18th birthday and, 
you know, he was like, oh, gosh, you're going to be 18 soon. What do you want? I said, I want a tattoo for my birthday. And um, <laughs> my first tattoo was for my father. He Because he, he didn't want to say, like, oh, now it's time you get a tattoo. But when I was younger, he always said, you know, oh, you got to wait until you're 18. You know, I don't care what you get, but you got to wait until you're 18 and stuff. Um, he always said that, you know, because if you don't, you know, you'll get some kind of big Darth Vader on you or something, you know. Laughs on him. <laughs> Later, I got uh, Ron Wells to do a Darth Vader on my leg. So, but um, <laughs> yeah. So, you know, for my 18th birthday, I got I got a tattoo for my father on my uh, back right shoulder blade. And it's a, a, a real fine line scene of uh, I used to really be into mythology. So I got a, a scene of uh, Apollo slaying the python at Delphi on my back. And uh, and it took up my back shoulder, which was like not great for planning for the future. It's like, oh, here's this <laughs> piece that takes up like, you know, you know, 20 percent of your back. And what are you going to do with the rest of your back? This is the way um, years later, 30 years later, when I turned uh, 48, um, I got uh, Valerie, Valerie Vargas to do the rest of my back. And I got her to do a. Yeah. Uh, I didn't want to cover my my tattoo so what um and i've loved her work so much and and she and Stuart are just amazing people i love them so much um and i i asked her to do a big one my favorite you know i like cats my favorite cat the big cat is the jaguar so i got this big jaguar crawling down my back with this woman laying on his back and she's got an opium pipe and she's blowing smoke that goes around the old tattoo that was very fine line and of course is fading so it looks like a dream image now and stuff so yeah so that's that was. Uh... Well, the what I mean, it, it sounds like like your your dad was obviously a huge fan and like champion of Mike Malone's work, and it I it seems like just from reading about him and the the one thing that comes across about him even in in print is that he seemed like pretty down to earth, like had a had a really nice work ethic, just seemed like a pretty straightforward dude, and I think like that's the vibe I always got from your dad as well, like just really kind of love tattooing to its core but but really understand that it is a job and it is hard work and it but it is magical at the same time right like what what was what was he like to work with mike i mean mike was i mean mike i came in i mean i've grown up around this so you know i've seen a lot but you have to see you like i'm sure we'll get into like what things were like in the 70s and early 80s but you have to realize that it's through a vision of like a kid um but with mike i mean it was going to the shop like i was there every morning um, you know, sweep and mop the whole nine yards. And it was like, you know, we have to take care of things. There is a lot of fun to be had, but there's a lot of work to be had. You know, it's like making needles. Like first couple of months, I didn't tattoo anyone. You know, um, I was like making needles. He was showing me how to make needles, showing me how to make tattoo machines, um, which I've honestly, I should have gotten more interested in it because that would have been a decent <laughs> income to, to make those, but oh well. Um, and, you know, and just how to, how to, paint flash and things like that. And it was like, here's how to draw, you know, here's how to draw one of Jerry's like basic tattoo roses like this. And you put these here and you start with it. Da, da, da. Okay. Draw me 10 pages of roses tonight. And you know, it was things like that, you know, here's how to do letter, you know, Scott would Scott and Malone, you know, Malone really for the script, he really said, you know, learn from Scotty. Scott Sterling was really great at lettering. And so I learned from him and it was like, okay, you know, draw pages every night, draw a couple pages of names and stuff like that. You know, it's like do some roses, do some names, things like that. And it was a lot of, you know, here's how to the attic, which was just full <laughs> books and supplies and all that. You know, it was, it was a lot of that. It was like starting me off like, okay, 
you're going to be doing, doing a lot of odds and ends. It's not just we were doing, you know, hooray, now we're doing little cartoons for a living. You know, it's like it was really a lot of work ethic. But he also was of the mind that was like, you know, but we're also having a lot of fun. You know, we're getting to, you know, we get to draw for a living. You know, it's like, yes, it's 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 a service thing. You know, you have to you have to do what the customer wants, but sometimes you get to work with them and you get to draw something neat. You give them ideas. Uh, you know, a few things he taught me, like during the first week, uh, the two biggest things he taught me, one, which the, you know, the, which is of course true. is like, you know, there's two kinds of tattooists in the world. Those who haven't misspelled a name, those yeah, who has misspelled a name and those who haven't done it yet. And, um, you know, <laughs> It's like, watch out for that. You know, here's how to check the people's, how to, you know, triple check the name before you actually tattoo it. But the other one, he says, you have to realize, and I understood what he meant by this. He says, you have to realize that 80% of the people who walk through that door are completely blind. They, they can't see yeah. anything. They have no aesthetic sense. They have no, it's like, so that you've got to work with them. You've got to say, okay, this is a, you know, this, this panther, that's great, but maybe don't want it right here. Maybe it would be like this. It would be better. You know, it's long and stretchy. Let's put it on your arm instead of like in the middle of your chest, you know, just, you know, working with people, you know, massaging their opinions and stuff like that, making it, um, making them feel like it was their idea. You know, it's like, you know, it's all part of the thing. It's, 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 uh, yeah, it's, it's making, it's making people comfortable. It's a lot of person, you know person work and stuff like that. I, I found a record from the 1750s or some like mid 18th century, so like pre-cook voyages, about a guy called John Kent who'd been tattooed, he said, in Turkey, and the and he had his initials on him. His obviously name was John Kent, JK, but the, the Turkish guy had done JC. So like tattooers have been making spelling mistakes for like Best part of 400 years. <laughs> so you're in, yeah, you're yeah. In good it's, company. it's bound to happen, you know, it's which eventually goes into the trend of like later when people were getting Chinese characters on them, kanji and stuff like that, you know, well, you know, is it really what it says kind of thing and stuff. And, you know, I put out, I put out a sh- uh, four sheets of kanji, um, because Malone said, why don't you, you know, we're going to go to a convention, you know, it's like, why don't you do some sheets of, you know, Chinese characters, people love them. I sold a shitload <laughs> of those sheets, but some of them were like, you know, I'd get from the Japanese dictionaries or Chinese dictionaries. And there were some, there was, um, there was this restaurant across from China Sea Tattoo called Ken Fong. And it was a Chinese restaurant run by husband and wife, Ken and Fong. And they were like friends of the shop. We'd go over there all the time and eat and everything. They were really nice. And Mike said, why don't you go over and ask Ken, like, you know, hey, can you translate some things for me and stuff like that? And he, he was like, he, he was like, oh, okay, you know, and he, he got some things. And there's, I think there was one where it was something about like having no, you know, it's like, you know, I'm not fear, fearful of any, of anyone or anything kind of thing, you know, and he said, and he thought about it. And he goes, well, I write it like, he goes, this is good. This is good. And years later, I found out that apparently it's like, it was like uh, <laughs> a term for like someone who carries coffins around or something like that, because it was like, <laughs> you know, they, they aren't fearful of death. So they're not fearful of anything. So it's like, oh, mm. God, you know, so recently someone pointed out, it was like, oh, I still have one of those sheets. When are you going to reprint them? Like, Never. <laughs> it was like, I still have the originals, but they're in terrible shape. I mean, this was like 94 or something like that. So, it's- I mean, like that's, re- that's remarkably better than having, you know, your takeout order on your back. Like at least that's, it's similar yeah. enough in sentiment. 
Yeah, I mean, there's, I mean, I'll be honest, like in the 90s, I mean, I came up in the 90s for when I tattooed, you know, and there was, and I got sucked up in this for a while too, and I'm, I'm embarrassed about it, but there was a lot of rock starism with tattooing and stuff, and a lot of like smart asses, you know, smart ass stuff. And some of the stuff I look back at, like, God, it's just embarrassing. Why are people like this? And I knew one tattooist who would literally just put stuff off a Chinese menu people and say oh this is just means whatever and he's putting you know pork lo mein or something on this and i was like you know uh, you know it's but see it's funny the way things are now people will unironically get like pork lo lo mein like in kanji and it's like actually a good tattoo right right well it's what's interesting i think is that you can see you know uh I mean, it's it's like you know tattoo history a lot of it was like soldiers getting tattoos of you know, the loved ones or something. You, at times of war, the tattoos would be different than the times of peace. Like, you know, I didn't tattoo a lot of Marines or Navy guys. Um, at one point in, I think it was 96 or something, um, I went to San Diego uh, to work at, with Dave Gibson at his shop, Lucky's. Lucky's. And I mean, because Dave really, like Scott Tur- taught me how to letter and he said, but you got to learn from Dave, you know, because Dave is the master of it. And sure enough. Dave, but- Dave Gibson's was the stuff that I was looking at in magazines that I was buying, like from Tower Records. I was 15 years old. Like his stuff that was in in those mid 90s magazines was like just blew me away. It was amazing. It was, he, he was the first tattooist I knew, got to know who did wall to wall color. I mean, Lance McLean would do it sometimes, but but he was like. You know, when I went there, he's like, okay, we tattoo a lot of Marines. We tattoo a lot of, you know, a lot of Navy guys tattoo a lot of CBs and stuff. And you're going to tattoo a, a Bulldog and a lot of these Marines. Here's how you tattoo a Bulldog at Lucky's. I want a Bulldog to come out of the shop that everyone sees it and they know it's from this shop. And it's like, okay, you know, black shading to this point, you put brown and then you put orange on the edges of the Bulldog. And so, you know, he taught, he was like doing all these things. And I never really, you know, um, Malone was a master at just enough, like Zico in yeah. the same way. You know, it's like just enough. You don't, you know, it. Here you go. It's solid. You do it quickly, but you do it very well. That's that's what's so perfect about about Mike's work or Rollo's work. It's just it's so it is so kind of like stripped down and it's there and it's solid, but it's not it's not mucking around. Right, right. You know, he was always like, you know, get it done well, get it done fast. You know. Those people will see that tattoo. Where'd you get that trying to see? They're going to come to our shop. You know, um, like I was mentioning earlier, you had to do a lot of lettering. You had to do a lot of names there. The shop minimum at China Sea back then was $30. And that was, and that would get you like a, a big name across here. Scott Sterling, um, I, we're not on video, but Scott Sterling <laughs> did, did my goddaughter's name on my arm when she was baptized yes. and everything that, you yes. know, so you get a name like that, that would go all the way across your arm in a really nice double line script, a lot of flourish around it and everything readable, but very fancy 30 bucks, you know, and you do that and you could do one of those, like when you got down to it, you could do it in like 15 minutes or so, you know, set up drawing, et cetera. Um, yeah, it was just about, you know, making really good, you know, I, it, it, Mike would do great blue collar tattoos, as I would call them. You know, he's like, you know, really cool designs. You know, it didn't have, you know, the rose didn't have 10 shades of red. You know, it's like (laughs) it was it was it was just really just beautiful, solid work. And and I contend that 
his sheets of Flash, the Mister Flash stuff, is still the best. I mean, to me, I you oh, know I still love doubt. working off of Flash. He had he was also a marketing genius in the sense that um, he would do he one of the things he did to advertise Mister Flash is like he'd send um, he would send uh, like instead of buying envelopes, sometimes he'd send like you know fold it over a piece of paper three times, you know, seal it. And in there was like um, a Cobra and Rose tattoo. And he said, basically in that stuff, it's like, put this one on this design on your wall. I'm giving this for free. Put it on your wall at the end of one month. Keep track of every time you do it. At the end of one month, count how much money you made off of that design. And that's why you should be buying my flash. <laughs> and and it, it worked, and I that it was and it was a great design, and sure enough, like you know, his his stuff was just like made to be put on, like super readable and just beautiful and fun and funny, and you know, a lot of a lot of laughter happened in that shop. Did you find when you went back to San Francisco, San Diego, went back to the, to the mainland, the and the nineties happening, like things were getting a bit a bit more pretentious and a bit more like customers were getting more difficult, like what? What changed um, when it you was went a lot back? of it was a lot of cool factor, you know. It was yeah. Hawaii was interesting because to Hawaii was in a sense it was like five years behind the mainland when it came to like s- certain trends and stuff like that. And of course, there was also just trends that were only in Hawaii too. I mean, you go to a place, you know, you 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 know, if you're going to be tattooing in Los Angeles, you're not going to be doing a lot of like Michigan tattoos. You know what I mean? It's like <laughs> it used to be a lot more regional that way. Um, but there was it was it was different. I mean, of course, you know, working at Dave's shop, it was, you know, people would come in. His his he would have so he had so much flash. All the walls in Lucky's were hand painted flash by Dave or someone who worked there. And then he had this long waiting t- waiting uh, bench, and there was like twenty feet of the you know the racks that held like each each side held like six sheets of flash. There was twenty feet of those. So people would have something to look at and stuff. Um, so yes and no. I mean, I didn't see too much of that unless I would go to a convention or things like that, you know. Um, and, you know, Mike was, I mean, Mike was very friendly. He was very open. He, you know, if you went and visited the shop, you know, he was very open arms and stuff. As long as you weren't, you know, super pretentious or something like that. He, <laughs> he hated that shit, you know. He threw, he threw people out. Was like, ah, get the fuck out of here and stuff. But <laughs> you know, he got along with pretty much anyone as long as they weren't like trying to flim flam him or something or yeah, act yeah, yeah. like you know, like because he, you know, it's like because he was. I mean, he came. I mean, Mike, you know, Mike w- learned how to be a barber first. That was his first trade. And everything. I didn't and know that because his grandfather. He said, yeah, he he said he, Mike told me that his grandfather Mike grew up in Marin County across the bay from San Francisco, and he said his grandfather. He said he, he can remember this clear as day. He said his grandfather one time said, hey, Mikey, let's go. We're going to go to San Francisco. And his grandfather, he said his grandfather took him to basically San Francisco Skid Row. It's probably Broadway or something like that. And he said, and there was like people fighting, you know, and like just, you know, there's prostitutes. He said there was a guy who was so drunk, he was literally rolling down the hill and his grandfather said, "You see, his grandfather said, my grandfather leaned in. And he said, you see that stuff, Michael? If you don't knuckle down and work hard. This is where you end up.' And he said, that gets me in the shop every morning. <laughs> still, you know. So it's like, okay, you know. 
Hey, are you enjoying the show? If you really like Beneath the Skin and you want to help support us, you can do so on Patreon. For little as five quid a month, you can help make this show possible, help us buy research materials. So if you like the show and you want to support us, consider kicking us a few quid a month and you'll get everything from bonus episodes to Q&As and you can even vote on what tattoo I'll get when we reach a certain subscriber count. Matt, have you got anything to say? You should really definitely uh, fund the Patreon because tattoo history is massive, right? Deep, wide, complicated. We're covering some big hit topics on the main feed, but on the Patreon subscriber-only feed, we'll be getting into some really more interesting niche deep topics you don't want to miss out on and honestly the chance to kind of decide what thomas gets on his body is probably just a once in a lifetime opportunity subscribe chuck us a few quid don't miss out on the chance to ruin thomas's body forever everyone knows that tattoo aftercare is one of the most important steps in getting a new tattoo we all want our fresh new tattoos to heal as easily and hassle-free as possible so we can show them off to the world that's why sanaderm's here to help Driven by science and innovation, Sanoderm products have been thoroughly tested and used by doctors and tattoo artists alike for over 10 years. Sanoderm brings cutting-edge technology to make your tattoo healing process a breeze. No more messing around with cleaning and plastic every few hours with Sanoderm's amazing range of aftercare products. I personally have used Sanoderm to heal my tattoos in the past, and they made what used to be a daily process of setting reminders on my phone to clean and rewrap my tattoo into a one-step process. Their medical-grade products include aftercare balms, soaps, and my favourite, their second skin aftercare bandages. Sanoderm's tattoo bandages are designed to be waterproof, breathable, and keep your new tattoo protected from whatever the elements can throw at it, so you can get on with your day, worry-free, and confident your new tattoo will look vibrant and will heal faster. Plus, their products are all-natural and ethically sourced, so you can take comfort in knowing that you're healing your tattoos with nature's finest ingredients. So next time you're in an artist's chair, why not try Sanoderm, healing your tattoos the modern way so you can get on with your day. Check out the link in the description of this episode for discounts on a range of Sanoderm products or for more information. So, did I mean, did you have any, did you have any, like, I don't know, expectation put on you either by customers or, like, because you, because you, because you were Ed's son, was it, was there a kind of push to you? It's, it's, I, it... at first, at first, there was like certain things, like, at first, I didn't use my name. I got a shop name. Um, and it's funny. It's like Dave, uh, uh, at one of my first conventions in Seattle, um, uh, Dave, Dave Gibson's wife, Debbie, gave me my nickname because um, she was calling him because uh, at first I wasn't like using the name because I didn't want to get it out, you know, because Malone was afraid. Ah, there's a few tattooists on the island. If they knew Ed Hardy's kid was here, like they come around like fucking vultures or something. Um, and we're at a convention and Debbie always used to call Malone big daddy. And we're all just w- sitting around the lounge area for a little bit and stuff. And, and, uh, and Dave said, you know, it's like, well, if Mike's big daddy, I guess that makes me brother, man. And that you sister girl, <laughs> he's talking about cat and hot tin roof. Yeah. And Debbie pointed at me and said, well, that must mean he's Buster. And so I, I, I signed a lot of my early flashes Buster instead, you know, it was like, yeah. So that was my name for a while, you know, That's for cool. a while. And eventually I just like, fuck it. You know, I'm Doug Hardy. It's like, let's put it out yeah. there. And for a while it was weird. You know, it was like some people were like, oh, he's Ed Hardy's kid. But now people are just like, he's Doug Hardy, you know, 
it's, you know, it's like that. I mean, I, I, it's like, you know, the famous father, so to speak, you know, it's like, of course, but it's, you know, at first it's a little intimidating when you're trying to get into the same field, you know, and it was, but at the same time, it's just like, eventually I just realized that I'm just, I'm just my own person and this is who I'm doing, you know, I can't be my father. So I, no, I mean, no one, no, no one can be your father. I mean, your Ed, Ed can't even be Ed, really, right? Like the the the, leg, the legend of Ed Hardy and the man Ed Hardy. Are, I'm sure, even particularly from your point of view, different people. Like, I think, but even even just from like hearing you talk, uh, you know, it's really clear that you you didn't trade on that. You had to kind of graft. You had to. You just. I mean, I guess you were you were fortunate to be around at a really amazing time for American tattooing and. You know, lots of really, yeah. really interesting people around, like that your dad was championing, that he was really sort of, as I said, I was a young teenage kid in England and getting copies of Tattoo Time and reading uh, magazines and learning about what was happening in in uh, in Tattoo City, you know, learning about um, Dan Higgs and Freddie and like all the amazing stuff that's happening. So like, but at the same time, yeah, like it's, you've, you've got to deal with every asshole and lunatic that walks through the door and ta- and tattoo them right 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 i mean there's it there is that i mean luckily i mean it was it was ups and downs i mean most of the people you could talk to they're great they're fine you know but working in chinatown or honolulu in the early 90s there was a lot of like belligerent idiots and stuff like that you know it's like <laughs> it's like i forget who said it to me but it's like you know it's like no actually again malone it was always you know, very witty because I don't know, there's something about putting a neon sign that says tattoo on a thing. And it's like a <laughs> nut magnet. Like everyone with the, like, you know, poor mental health is like tattoo and like wander in and stuff. But, but you also meet some very interesting people that way too. You know, some are, you know, honestly eccentric, you know, um, and have interesting stories to stay. And there's, I mean, and it, you, it's all walks of life. Like, so, I mean, the first tattoo I did, like the first tattoo I did is on myself. You know, one day Malone said, okay, draw something for yourself tomorrow because you're going to tattoo it on your leg. You know, here we go. Oh, okay. And then um, and I had this, this horrible tattoo on my leg, and I'll never cover it. It's the worst tattoo I've ever done, but I'll never cover it because it's like, yeah, that's my first tattoo. Um, and then the next day, he started bringing in people that he called potatoes. And like, because it was a joke on the old Milt Zeiss thing, you can practice on a potato, you know, it's like... Um, and he'd basically go to the local bar and say, hey, I'm teaching a kid who had a tattoo who wants, who wants a free tattoo. And the first one he brought me was this low-end um, drug dealer. And uh, he got, like, back then, um, Hawaiian culture was starting to really, like, it was starting to really make a push for, like, a Hawaiian identity and stuff like that. And which was great. You know, finally, the you know, the language finally did not die out, thank Christ and everything. But the... The basic version of that were, were like these T-shirts was like Hawaiian warriors and they're like super muscled up and everything, which is with in the early 90s, you probably you, you might have seen that trend. There was a whole trend of like big muscled Jesus and stuff, too, which was wild. But it was these big muscled warriors and they had these helmets on, which are made out of gourds. Um, and they were shown as like, you know, this is a warrior's helmet. Later, it's found out most likely they were actually like for spiritual things and like, you know, ceremonial stuff. But anyway, it was the, the helmet and you'd always, you'd always be able to do the helmet. It was a gourd helmet with like kind of a double circle with a, you know, space in between like two circles. And it usually had like, um, usually had like a kind of plant material or feathers on the top and then like some 
some reeds hanging down and stuff. And it was, and over there, the Hawaiian word for big means ikaika or ikaika is the word. And so everyone started calling it the ikaika helmet because all, all the big warriors wore so, oh, the ikaika helmet. So this guy came in and he wanted a Hawaiian helmet with wings that said flying Hawaiian. And that was my first <laughs> tattoo I did on anyone. And it was like, cause, well, because he's the drug dealer, right? So yeah, he's the flying Hawaiian. <laughs> and then afterwards, he would bring in guys and he wouldn't give them too much for choice. Like, OK, you can do this rose, this eagle or this panther on your arm. Which one do you want? Well, I'll take the panther. And Malone would, you know, watch over me and say, OK, you want to do this and that. And stuff. And just eventually started giving me jobs that he knew I could handle, little kanji or little lettering things and stuff like that. Move on up. And I think like, as we were saying a bit before I before we started recording, to like survive in the industry or to still be tattooing and getting up every morning or, or however many times a week you're in the shop tattooing. And I know guys, you know, like George Bone, um, you know, still tattooing in his eighties. You've got, to, in some sense, Is enjoy. Now? Oh yeah, man. <laughs> he's, he's still in four still days great. a week as well. Still incredible, oh, God, right? It, yeah, his work is great. I wouldn't. Oh wow. Okay. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> okay, yeah. I feel he, lesser now, but <laughs> he he was tearing out of his parents' like front like back bedroom in the night in the early nineteen sixties or something. Like he's and he's still in like four days a week. But he, but I think like to, to to do that, you've got to you've got to, you've got to enjoy those kind of interactions. You've got to enjoy that kind of you know that kind of humanity right? in its best and its worst. Right, right. I mean, it's 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 a constant complaint with a lot of tattooers. Oh, customers! You know, it'd be great yeah. if it wasn't for the customers. But I, you know, but I, I, and there was times where it's like, oh, okay, God. But you know, I'm, when you're in a shop, that's like slammed like all the time like blah, 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 blah. you know here's the next one here's the next one here's the next one. i could see that because eventually you know you got to have break yeah. from it you have to say but i mean to me it's like it's really interesting the amount of just interesting people that walk through and right. and sometimes they aren't interesting at all but we're there <laughs> to provide a service and so you know and this got uh you know it's like so if someone comes in and they want something you know well, nowadays it's like they, they you know someone comes in they want something out of pinterest let's put this tree on my arm okay sure maybe it's not thrilling to you but to them it's really important it's yeah. really thrilling and so you got to do the best job you can you know you have to put your heart and soul into it i mean i i ran into that really early on you were asked earlier it's like oh you know in the 90s were you running into pretentiousness and stuff and i didn't think about it but now i i kind of remember the whole thing of like the push to not do flash and everything, which is, you know, fine. That's great. I could yep. totally see that. My father, you know, did that, but there was eventually there was a snobbishness about it. And I was, um, I was, uh, I had a girlfriend for a long time in Hawaii who moved over to Minnesota and, um, her brother, who's this, who's this really sweet guy, you know, my birthday came up and he, he bought me one of those in the nineties. There was like, there was a little push, took out like VHS things like here's this tattooist and here's this cool guy and here's their story. And so, and a lot of them are people that you never have heard of and never will hear of again. And he got me one of those. And it was like, okay, that was like, really, you know, he made a huge effort. That was really cool yeah. of him. And I decided to watch it. And it was these cool guys, you know, who obviously listen to, you know, a, a white zombie all the time and stuff. And, uh, and, and during their interview, someone was like, was there any kind of tattoo you hate doing? It's like, yeah, man, the Tasmanian devil. Why would someone get the Tasmanian devil when you can get something cool like this thing I do? And I was like, that just pissed me off so much. Cause yeah. I'm like, you know, look, it doesn't mean anything to you, but to the Tasmanian devil, maybe that means a lot to this person. So do the 
best fucking Tasmanian devil they've ever seen. You know, that's what matters. And you know, I, I don't like that belligerent stuff, you know? No, I, you know. I read an interview once with, with Horiyoshi, of all people, right? Like, who I think said, if I'm, yeah, I think he said, like, if someone comes to me and wants a rose tattooing, I'll tattoo a rose. Like, I'll do the tattoo they want. I mean, you know, and I, that's, 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 a, that's an attitude. That's an amazing attitude to have, I think. And, and probably a necessary one to some degree. Sure. Yeah. I mean, and it's like, and now, I mean, it used to be, used to be a lot of tattooists had to be, you know, well spread out, you know, it's like, it was like, well, you know, I have, I can do a bit of everything. So now it's, a, it's a lot more niche and stuff like that. But I can see both. I can see the positives of both. You know, of course I can see it's like, oh, I'm this artist and I can do my style and people come for me that, and that's great. I think that's amazing. And that's, especially if you can, you know, if you can bring in the business for that, but also, you know, uh, working in a shop where I work with other great people, you know, I'm working with Khalil Rinty and I'm working with Jen Lee who are just, I mean, I, I still can't believe I get to work with these two. It's like, Oh my God, this is amazing. You know, they're great, great artists and they're great, great people. And we're being joined by, um, uh, Gracie soon in October. Um, wow. and she's, she used to actually be a, uh, uh, shop assistant and, but she's been tattooing a couple of years. Now, um, she used to work for us as a shop assistant and, uh, we've been needing to fill a spot and Gracie is going to be the one. And she's, she's really a cool person. I really have a lot of, you know, I, I'm, I'm looking forward to working with her. She, cause she has that you know, hungry attitude of like, yeah, let's do this. And stuff. It's great. You know, so how, how do you think things have changed then? I mean, it's a, it's always a difficult question. I think again, one of the things I spend a lot of time talking about as a historian in some senses about how it seems at least from the you know from the historical record of it, sort of how, how little's changed in a way you know everyone wants to sort of say tattooing's now is very different from tattooing at some unspecified point in the past but you know i know that your shop and 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 talking about your experiences they 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 do f- sound at least quite familiar to and probably would be familiar to people who were tattooing you know 100 years ago but that's an easy thing for me to say as a historian i mean like do, what what would you say is different now from someone that's kind of lived through it in such a profound way and, and knows probably more about the, the history of 20th century tattooing than most people? Like, do, you, do, do things feel different now to you? Yes and no. I mean, it's it's um, the things that are different now, now that um, knowledge, excuse me, um, knowledge is out there. I mean, the television shows, like them or hate them, you know, they brought tattooing to a bigger consciousness. I mean, there was there. 80s, the 90s, that it started to become this really cool thing. I mean, you know, late 70s, like early 80s, like Leo Zilouetta was doing tribal tattoos, you know. He's one of my great friends. But when he was doing those were like punk rock as shit. You know, those were super fucking out there punk rock things. But what's happened now is that more people know about stuff. And so a lot of the mystery, so to speak, is gone. And I can see why some you know, especially old timers or younger people who think they're old timers <laughs> would think, you know, it's like, oh, it's, you know, it's all different. Like there was this one tattooist who I won't name who, who would come by the China Sea every so often. And, you know, he was a really, he was a decent tattooist and everything, but he like Malone eventually got a little tired of him coming around. He says, yeah, the, you know, he comes by and I'm trying to tell him about the history of tattooing and he'd rather find out what, you know, what did Sailor Jerry have for breakfast? You know? Yeah. It's like, you know, but, uh, so a lot of the quote unquote mystery is gone. That's a little sad, but at the same time, you're getting a, a much bigger, 
a bigger client base. Right. Because more people are open to the idea of tattoos. I mean, they always have been. You're always, there was always going to be a doctor with some tattoos there, you know, yeah. such as the one I'm talking to now. There's always going to be, you know, waitresses. There's always going to be like, you know, moms and stuff like that. But now it's much, it's much more open. So the idea of acceptance is at a peak and I'm sure it'll wane, wax and wane, just yeah. like it always has. Um, the other thing is that now there's a lot more choice and availability. Um, yeah. I mean, you know, the really old stuff was like, here's what you get. You know, this is the wall. Pick something off the wall. And I forget, Malone and my dad both told me there was an old timer a long time ago, but I couldn't remember his name. But, you know, he got to the point where it's like he opened up and was like, I'm doing hearts today. You want a tattoo? You're getting a heart, you know, to roses tomorrow. Um, but now it's it's much more choice, you know, and I think that I mean. Mm-hmm. The story of spider web going to university campuses, I think, in the 70s. And saying like, "Hey, who wants a free tattoo?" And everyone would put their hands up, and then he'd say, "Okay, I'm going to tattoo your nose green," <laughs> and then all the hands would go right. down. <laughs> you mentioned it earlier, Dogan, like talking about you know growing up the way you grew up and seeing this whole world of tattooing through a child's eyes. Well, like, yeah. well, you talked about how it's changed since you started tattooing. How has it changed since you know seeing that world through a child's eyes? It's- it, it was interesting because a lot of like, you know, my earliest tattoo memories are, you know, when my father was in San Diego. I mean, maybe a little bit of Vancouver or something like that. But I mean, I was really little, you know. So every so often, like on a weekend and when my dad was working at Ace Tattoo with Zeke, it was right next to this big arcade on uh, in San Diego. So on the weekend, sometimes I'd go down there um, and it, there was no video games. It was all like mechanical arcade stuff and everything so you know something for a kid to do but i would go in and like you know there's sailors getting tattooed you know getting the olympia beer can logo or something which was popular at the time or you know tasmania or whatever you know all these different things and to me i mean seeing like seeing my dad do this work and zeke do this work i mean it was really interesting because to all the people who were in there were like in an exotic place to them. You know, a lot of the people who were getting tattooed at Ace, they're, they're, uh, they were sailors or CBs. They're mostly Navy guys. And, you know, a lot of these guys were like, you know, first time they've been to California, you know, stuff like that. You know, it was like, so it was still kind of an exotic, kind of cool, weird place. And, and in ways, you know, shops can still be like that. That's for sure. But I mean, they're a lot more diverse. They're now they're cool to like, you know, sometimes they're cool to a certain sect of people, a certain, you know, it was like um, Jose Morales. Uh, he's on Instagram as cheeseburger champion. He tried to go back to Jose Morales for a while, but he's like, oh, God, but no one knows who I am. That's 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 the problem with Instagram. Once you're stuck with a username, it's like you're stuck. That's it. <laughs> um, you can change it. But then everyone's like, who's that? Um, but anyway, he you know, he does uh, these brilliant um he does these brilliant, um, he does brilliant realism and color realism. And it's just absolutely great. But he's mostly known for doing anime tattoos, which, you know, which I, when I started, I kind of wanted to push, I put a few sheets out with some anime characters. No one ever got it. Tom's first tattoo was a Neon Genesis Evangelion tattoo. Yeah, yes. Literally, you know, <laughs> wait, wait. Oh, oh bad brilliant. camera. <laughs> yeah, bad camera, but good. It's like. It's, it's so it's so black. It's so it's faded. It's dark. I'll never be able to cover it up, and I never want to either. 
hey, we, uh, we, we get older, they get older. You know, that's the whole thing. But I mean, but the thing was that like he's doing these amazing, you know, tattoos. And I went to his shop. I had to go down to Santa Monica recently for a family emergency. And since I was there, I was like, well, I'm going to have a little time. So I'm going to go visit him at the shop. And he had just moved from one part of the building to another, to a bigger space for his crew. And it was great. It was open. And I mean, there was tattooing going on, but it was very open and airy, lots of light. They had a, they had a TV going on running anime, you know, and stuff. And there was like, there's a few private rooms. One of the other artists, she was in her room and she was doing a, uh, a big X-Men tattoo on a guy. So fuck it. They had a TV screen in there. They're running the old X-Men movies and stuff, you know? And it's just like, it's a little more, it's a little more personalized experience. And there's so many artists with such strong particular styles now that you can really seek them out. It used to be, so one of the big changes used to be, especially even from when I was a kid up through the mid nineties, used to be able to see regional tattoos and not just like, okay, you're from Ohio. You have the Ohio state flag. I'm talking about like, Look at this bold line work, and this way is done by shading. You got that in Baltimore, didn't you? Your, your dad says that in his interview in Modern Primitives. He's like, I can tell a tattoo from where, it's, where it comes from. I can tell where it's come from by looking at it, yeah. Yeah, I mean, one of the things I did, okay, so when I moved to Minnesota in 98, I worked at a shop um, called Northside Tattoo that's long, long gone. But it was, uh, it was super blue collar, mostly black clientele, you know, blue collar white guys and stuff like that. And one of the, like a few weeks into opening this one guy came in and I tattooed him later a bunch of times. He was this middle-aged guy, long hair, you know, ACDC hat and stuff. We called him heavy metal Dave. Um, <laughs> and he was a super nice guy and he had some older tattoos and like, Hey, can I help you? He's like, Oh, you guys are new to the neighborhood. I never been guy. You know, I just want to check it out. I was like, sure. If you have any questions, let me know. Da, da. I saw on his arm, he had this tattoo on his arm of the old hot stuff devil, which was popular from probably the fifties through, you know, the early nineties or something like that. But it was a hot stuff devil laying on his back on a cloud, like he's lounging and he's got his arm, he's got his legs crossed. So like one leg is crooked up and his other leg is laying uh, is on it, like, you know, resting on his knee and one of his toes is, and his big toe is really long and he's looking at it smiling. So it kind of, <laughs> it's positioned. So it looks like he has a big dick and it, you know, born to raise hell and stuff. And I saw that. I said, Hey, did you get that around 72 or 73 in San Diego? <laughs> and he went, yeah. I said, Oh, either my dad or a, or a big guy named Jimbo did that on you. And he was like, it was a big guy. I was like, yeah, you know, it's like, it was just like, the weirdest thing. I just completely blew his mind because I recognized the, de the design from one of Zeke's sheets in, in the shop. All those, all those designs were like hypnotizing to me. So, yeah. you know, they burn in my memory. So oh my yeah, God. I was able to see that, you know? So, I mean, we've been talking for a while. I could talk to you forever. Like I, I wanted to, the segue to Japan, I think is probably, interesting and talking about anime like talk to us talk to me about japan because you, you do live in japan for a while you spent a lot of time over there right no like no what i was doing is like i always had a fascination with japan so 1984 after i graduated high school i went uh, like i've i had done a couple trips with my father 1980 he and i went to england for the first time my grandfather sam hardy was from somerset oh you were you were on you were on that trip with him in london in 1980 yeah, the, the yeah. where he did all the skins and skulls stuff. Yeah. We were going to go for two weeks. It was our first father-son trip. 
and we went for five. We ended up like we originally had a a, a, a little rental place in the little Boltons, and then we're like, okay, now we're doing B and Bs. Like we stayed at a, above a Wimpy's B and B for a week and stuff because we're having such a great time. You know, I mean, I I was a little kid. I was like, it was 1980. I had my birthday there, so I was um, I was 13, 14, and um, so. We would go to pubs. My dad had stopped drinking, so he'd be, he was ordering pints of soda water and he was convincing everyone, oh, yeah, this is the way we do it in America now. You know, everyone's on soda water. Oh, really? And we saw the young Marvel Giants play at a, uh, a show. And so, but anyway, um, yeah, so in 1984, he and I went on a trip to Hong Kong just to for a week where we saw Pinky and, everything, and you know, spent time there. And then we went to japan for two weeks and that's where i met horyoshi um and such and it was like you know to me i was really and that i was like i was out of high school i was really in i had been into japanese comics since i was a little kid and we had live and because of san francisco had a big japanese population there was a dedicated japanese channel and they got a lot of stuff from hawaii and that included a lot of live action shows um one called Go Ranger, which was the original Power Rangers, Common uh, Rider. Of course, I loved Ultraman since I was a kid. That had been airing. Yeah, you told me you were watching Ultraman on, on TV when it came out in, in the US. Yeah, well, I mean, it was like probably the early 70s. Uh, my father yeah. brought me back some, you know, plastic monsters from Japan, some soft vinyl monsters when he went on a trip. And that got me, that spun me out completely. Nice. And I still love those things. Uh, every, everyone at home, uh, you can't see the video. Doug's room is full of soft vinyl monsters, kaiju, yeah. this is, everything. This is a replica. Oh. This is from the same, this is what he brought back for me from 73. Oh. This was owned by a little kid. Um, it's this thing called Takong. Uh, the blackout market that was some kid's name some mom wrote his name so the kids <laughs> would know which toy was their own but you know um so i i went in 84 and that was great i saw some of my favorite anime movies there while i was live and i always wanted to go back and then in 2000 it was in 2000 99 the tokyo tattoo convention started and in 2000 i went to it um but i was in contact with this one tattooist who was from japan but living in america and uh, with a former friend of mine, we went together to the convention and we were like, we want to work in Japan, not just for this convention. So he introduced us to um, this shop in Osaka that's no longer there called Chopstick Tattoo. Um, and uh, the great tattoo artists, um, Gakin and Goch and um, I'm blanking on his name, but there's another one. They all got their, you know, they were all started there. And stuff there is like you'll see their Gakin work now. Is, like, uh, I think is the best tattoo artist in the world right now. He, you know, he's he's by he's, quite a long way amazing. my favorite tower in the on the planet. Yeah, he's amazing. You know, like so um so I was working in two thousand through two thousand three. I was working there quite a bit. Uh, I would go. I would fly from Minnesota. There used to be a direct flight. I would fly Minnesota Chicago Chicago direct to Osaka. That's a route that no longer exists. Um, and I would go and work from three to eight weeks at a time. So I'd go multiple times a year. And then one time uh, while there, I met this tattooist named Hitero. Now Hitero had a shop in Hiroshima called Tommy's Fire. Um, and he, he's passed away now, but he was the first Japanese tattooist. Sabata was kind of doing a little, some things like this, but he was the first tattooist that I ever saw that was doing straight up manga and anime tattoos. Like 
hundred percent. Like, here we, you want an Evangelion? Here we go. Here's a bound doc from Zeta Gundam on the cross. This woman's tits and stuff. It was just like, it was unlike anything I'd ever seen. And then I decided, like, I got it. It's like, he was like, oh, come work with me sometimes. Great. And it was like, his shop was chaos. It was like this <laughs> little shop in Japan. In Japan, uh, there's mixed use. Um, yeah. Uh, zoning and stuff. And so a lot of, a lot of times what will happen is like an apartment building will be there and then it'll slowly get converted to shops. So you see this tall building and you'll have like a hundred little signs on it. And that's each one of those play, each one of these apartments, they call it that in Japan, those apartments are called mansions, you know, the French maison or something like that. So it, it's known in Japan as mansion tattooing. It's not so meant to find mansion, anywhere, isn't it? Because you're walking around and you're like, where is it? And this map yeah, and you're having to look yeah. at it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, now with Google Maps, it's easier. But um, <laughs> but yeah, so I worked in this shop and he would have like, it was just stuffed full of like toys and art and memorabilia. And he'd have a TV going on with, you know, some movie going and he'd be blasting music. It eventually, it got hard for me to work because like, <laughs> I can't have that too that much. But he was like, yeah. And he'd come in, he'd roll in. At, at six o'clock and tattoo until three in the morning, four in the morning. And I was, I, I'd be there at 11 a.m. going, okay, fuck it. I'm going to tattoo now. Um, <laughs> but he was the first one to really do anime tattoos. And I had never really seen that before. Anyone doing anything quite like that. And later, my friend, and I was in Minnesota. Um, since I started doing this, we invited uh, Gulch, who worked at that point, worked for Chopstick Tattoo was going to come to America. He was going to work um, at the shop in Rhode Island. Then he wanted to come visit me and work with a in Minnesota for a couple of weeks. And we needed someone to translate. And one of our shop girls said, oh, my my roommate, Benny, he he speaks Japanese. He speaks, he's actually going to school for it. He's really good. And so I met this this kid at the time, this punk rock kid who made these, who was this great illustrator. He was doing all these great flyers. And I was like, holy shit, look at this art. Um, and eventually he moved to Japan and I, you know, kept him in touch with other tattooists, introduced him. He met Hitero and he really was blown away and he was completely influenced by Hitero. Later, he became an apprentice at Chopstick Tattoo and now he's known as Hori Benny. And he has his own shop in Osaka yeah. called uh, uh, Invasion Club. And Hori Benny is like this amazing, he does manga and anime and arrow tattoos and stuff. It's just like, I, I'm just so blown away. The biggest change is that there's there is a huge choice of great tattooists out there. Yeah. And there's, you know, and it's funny because a lot of the, you know, there and there's two kinds of old timers too. There's the ones who's like, fuck, I can't do this stuff. Everyone's going away. This sucks. Tattooing is never better. And then there's guys like George Bone and Lal Hardy who never stopped changing with the times. 100%. Like they adapted and they keep going and stuff. You know they're both amazing. Like I have such huge respect for both of them because they, I've never seen them complain about stuff. I mean, sure. Minor stuff, you know, everyone has little complaints, my back hurts, et cetera, but you know, they've kept it going. And the reason they've kept going is because they've had as great artistic talent. They don't want to become frozen in amber. They want to keep going. They want to keep marching forward. And they realize that, you know, as, as much as, grueling as a lot of this work is because it is, you know, yes, we're not construction workers pouring concrete, but we're destroying our backs, our hands, our eyes, et cetera. You know, they still have a great attitude about it. They still know you can have fun at the shop. And at the same time, 
take care of business. And I think that's a huge part of what it's about. Yeah, I think, I mean, that's that's the vibe that I get from from all, all of those guys who have been so kind to me over the years. You're definitely in that list. Um, you know, I'd include Alex Binney in that list as well. And just people that, yeah, as we said earlier on, like who just still are excited about tattooing, all that kind of weirdness and magic and possibility and... You know, even all the frustration is is part of what comes with it. And I think like one of the things that I, I think is interesting about conversations, listening to people who sort of say, oh, the industry is very stale now or it's changed from the old times, which obviously, you know, I'm sure it has. But at the same time, like you've still got to get get up close and personal with human beings yeah. and hurt yeah. them um, and, and change their life, yeah. you know, in whatever profound or tiny way. And, and that's going to come with its own joys and frustrations and i think that even yeah. you know someone i'm not a tattooer obviously i'm just someone who's an observer of tattooing but that's what's always excited me about it um and it's always exciting to to, to talk to, to tattooers who've been around you know not you know, i've met your dad i think twice now and i've had similar conversations with him you know i know he retired a long time ago but like he still seemed like he was still excited about tattooing you know yeah i mean what's fun about it is like i mean i'm, I'm still tattooing but every so often I'll, and i'll I've said this to multiple people, like every so often in the middle of a tattoo, I'm just thinking to myself, it's like, <laughs> I'm putting a cartoon on this person's arm for the rest <laughs> of their life. You know, it's like, this is the weirdest shit ever, but man, it's neat. You know, and that's, that's to me, it's like, it's part of it. You know, it's like everyone, I mean, that's the whole thing. It's like everyone and even myself is like, oh, they're forever and ever. And, but I think the one of the biggest appeals to me having grown up around this is that tattooers tattoos aren't forever whatsoever. Exactly. And they're like Sandman dolls. Cause when we go, they go. And that's why there's such a little record of like old tattooing and stuff. That's you know, what, it's um, like, that's what old, old Sammy yeah. Stewart said once, like tattooing is the mayflies art, right? Like it dies off. That's it. That's great. <laughs> <laughs> that's really great. Yeah. I mean, that's, I mean, that's appealing to me because I have tattoos from people. I've got a tattoo from Hitero. He died in 2009, uh, the, no, 2007. I've got tattoos from Mike Malone. I've got tattoos from, you know, from Dave Gibson, uh, artists that are no longer with us. So in ways, even though they aren't memorial tattoos, they are memorial yeah. tattoos. 100%. And ironically enough as well, it's that, you know, we talked about how people moved away from Flash, but Flash has survived longer than a lot of people's custom tattoos as well. You know, we have Flash from... You know, I am I'm a huge proponent of good flash. I mean, there really was a push in the 90s, like, no, let's not do flash. And a lot of the flash that was sold was, as as Malone put it, you know, monuments to the artists themselves. Like, look how cool I am. I did this great thing. Yeah, no one's ever going to want to get that. Why would I buy it <laughs> on my wall? You know, he was, yeah, it was always about like, you know, do cool stuff that the people would like. And then some, and some stuff is timeless. You still see like, you know, pinup girls. When I was in, uh, when I was in Japan a few weeks ago, one of the things I was doing was looking at this old flashbook from a Japanese artist working in Osaka uh, around the turn of the 20th century. Um, and it was designs that he was doing on Western clients, right? So Brits and Americans and Russians even. Um, and you could tell any of that shit today and it would still look great. There was a, there's a, there's a design in there that's a monkey riding a push bike. Right. Like, <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. Malone was always good about like, let's do humor stuff, you know? And yeah, that was always the thing. You know, I was like, and I mean, Japanese tattooing is everyone thinks of it as like this big, serious thing. And of course it was, you know, but at the same time, it was also in a way like, okay, so a great deal of the 
tattoo subject matter is the heroes of the Suikoden, right? That was, it's, it's no different from getting a tattoo of Luke Skywalker on you. It was pop art. It was like, it was this popular novel. There's no difference. And people, oh, well, it's this massive, important thing. It's like, Jesus, just get what you like. It doesn't matter. You know, it's like, just, just please enjoy yourself. Get, get the art that you like. Get it on yourself. That's, that's the fun thing. I wish I had known you were going to Japan. I would have um, said to stop by a few places that had nothing to do with tattooing, but it would have been. But I know it's like, yeah. Yeah, it was a crazy work yeah. trip. And it was so... It was so weird because of like they're still pretty locked down from COVID, and I was I, it took me yeah. sixty hours to get there because my flights got cancelled, and I oh I was gosh. working the whole time. But I I need to go back, and I I didn't go back and have a proper you know explore and see stuff and do stuff because like I've been twice now, both times working. Yeah, one day maybe by next year they'll be open. I'm 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 tentatively planning to go in February, uh, like. Because I, I will be working, uh, if I do go, I'll be working at this one-day convention called Wonder Festival, which is a Japanese toy and uh, model festival and stuff. So, um, but yeah, that's that's what I like. Because I have this little figure I make, a soft vinyl figure I make of my cat as a witch. And it's like, you know, haven't made any money off of it, but I'm having fun painting <laughs> stuff. So. I'd, bank, I'd bankrupt myself. Matt, buy, Matt spends his money on stupid shit, but... As we I move do, I to just, finish, I just got a Giga Gen Okitaro clock. Very oh, exciting. great! <laughs> yeah, I know. Sorry, Tom. Tom's trying to wrap up. He's trying to finish yeah, the yeah. podcast. No, so as we <laughs> as we're moving to wrap up, uh, I want to thank you, Doug, for talking to us. You've like, there's been a couple of times where you've said stuff that a, a tattoo historian, Doctor Matt Lauder, didn't know about, judging by the look on his face. And oh, loads of stuff. Just a really, yeah. really <laughs> enjoyable conversation. And I want to thank you so much for your time. Where can people find you either online? Where can people get tattooed by you? You know, sure. Um, I'm at uh, San Francisco's famous Ed Hardy's Tattoo City, uh, 700 Lombard Street on the corner of Mason in San Francisco's incredibly famous North Beach, which is China, Chinatown in Little Italy. Um, TattooCitySF.com is the website. You can find my my tattooing Instagram all one word tattoos by Doug Hardy. Um, and if you want to see these weird, like soft vinyl monsters that I paint and stuff, you can find me on Instagram also as Kaiju underscore sommelier. Love so that. it's a kind of a joke name I made up and it, it's stuck and I like it. So, but yeah, I'm uh, I just tattoo at tattoo city. Um, I do walk-ins mostly. You can email us for availability. I think I have someone from England in October. I'm doing something on. So yeah awesome and matt do you want to plug your plug your stuff as well well yeah i've got a book coming out uh in a few weeks it might be out by the time this comes out uh i'm on instagram uh matt at matt lodder twitter at matt lodder smoke signal semaphore scream and i'll probably hear you <laughs> you can find me online at got it at guineas that's g-u-y-n-e-y-s you can follow the show at beneath skin pod uh, thank you very much for listening. If you enjoyed what you heard, you can support the show on Patreon for as little as five quid a month. You get bonus episodes, you get peek behind the scene, you get to support the show, and you also get to help pick what we're going to cover in the future. So from me, thank you very much, Matt. Bye. Thank you. Thank you.